Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged devil bill. This week, 2022, makes Moonfall after Yang. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I watched both the movies that we're covering today on my cool little red sunglasses. Yeah, and I'm Adam Thomas. And uh, does anybody really give a shit about uh, Michael Pena? I like Michael Pena. I don't know what, what, what's, what's this anti-Michael Pena sentiment coming from. Oh, I, I don't think Roland ever collects Michael Pena. Well, that's true. That's true. We'll get into that uh, with uh, our two movies that we're going to be covering today. Because if you're new to the show, uh, every week Adam and I cover a good and a bad movie we pick at the end of the previous episode. And uh, on the previous episode, which was our last one of uh, 2022, which uh, officially happy 2023, everybody. The yeah, usual. Yeah. Hope it's all right. Yep. <laughs> hope yep. It's, yep that's all we can do but the before we go into 2023 officially we gotta look back at them because you know every six months or so we talk about movies that came up within a particular year uh and you know we did this back in july for the first half of 2022 and uh now that 2022 has wrapped in terms of movies uh what did you think overall of uh, the year in film i think it's a pretty good year man i think it's one of the stronger years for uh I feel like I've been saying this the past couple of years, but this year too, uh, real strong year for genre films again. But I'm so uh, comic book movied out and shit like that. But for like you know, A24 stuff and you know, Blumhouse and a lot of really cool little genre films. It'd be a horror, or sci-fi. There's a couple of really good ones, or you know, like f- epic fantasies like The Northman stuff like that. Pretty good fucking year, and I, I actually got to see quite a bit this year. So it, it was you know, pretty fun. I guess. I don't know. Fuck, what do I know, man? Uh, usually by the time we do one of these wrap-ups, you you tend to say that you haven't seen as much within a particular year. Right? You tend to yeah, be that... kind of like, oh, I'm not as caught up necessarily. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like I've seen everything, but pretty much whatever has come out on physical media I've seen this year that I wanted to, anyways. Yeah, you're not some freak who watches so many movies in a particular year that they have a lot to say about, particularly in 2022, the 113 films they might have seen so far from the year. What kind of freak would do that? Yeah, or a weird freak who watches everything a certain actor is in just because he's going to talk about it or something. I'm fine. Perhaps. you imagine that dork? Yeah, right, that kind of dork. Uh, But no, yeah, I think it's, you kind of mentioned this, like the last couple years I think have been really interesting years in film. Um, and despite, you know, everything else around us having kind of like slowly degrading necessarily, uh, at least it film wise, there's been a lot more, I think, especially interesting stuff with, with this year. It feels like, uh, not just, I agree with you about the genre stuff, but also it was a great year for animation. It was a great year for, I think, especially the movies themselves kind of coming back. Like that's been sort of the thing ever since like post vaccines, uh, for COVID we've had a lot of people that are just trying to like, 
you know, that have been championing like the movies are back kind of thing in terms of like film Twitter circles and stuff. But I feel like this feels like the year where the movie sort of more came back with like a vengeance, particularly just the massive success of like a Top Gun Maverick or even something like Everything Everywhere All at Once, not only just being like a critical darling, but making like a hundred million dollars. It feels like movies might be much more back than we would have anticipated back in like 2020. Yeah, but to be fair, back in 2020, I wasn't anticipating anything except just hopefully waking up the next day. <laughs> right, that's true. The low bar, but we yeah. went right well above it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah, and I think uh, also just in terms of like a recurring trend, I really noticed it feels like there's been a lot more sort of embrace of some of like what we're talking about with some of the genre elements. We're like, we're in the middle of Oscar season right now. And there's been a lot more talk about movies that came out like in the first half of the year than there usually is. Because with like Oscar movies, it tends to be like, oh, whatever came out in like November and December. It's not even as much of the case. There's been a lot more like movies that kind of had like a stain power that they haven't had in the last couple of years, which is like stuff that, oh, you know, um, some like Top Gun Maverick, like I mentioned, or um, even as far back as like a Turning Red or RRR being like weird breakout hits and stuff like that. It feels like movies have had, certain movies have had a much bigger like sustained power than they have. And especially in a modern world where like streaming also has felt like it's had a reckoning with a lot of things like the HBO Max stuff. And even Netflix has kind of like been, you know, kind of shifting away from, uh, like weird projects and have just been like kind of like milling out like more of the traditional stuff that they've been doing as the time has gone on. It feels like uh, especially that there's a lot more stuff that's kind of like crawled through what we've been getting as of recent and kind of like been breakout hits despite, you know, the glut of what we get like on a weekly basis from streaming stuff. Yeah, man. Morbius got a second release. That's true. It was Morbid time. It was truly <laughs> it was Morbid, Morbid time, time this year. Yep. Yes. 100%. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about two movies that we picked at the end of the last episode, though uh, our bad pick was chosen not just by Adam, uh, who had the choices, but also our patrons over at patreon.com slash DEDBpod voted uh, for this particular bad pick of Moonfall, which we'll be talking about. And then uh, the good pick uh, was one that I had of After Yang. Two interesting, we, we kind of like realized there's a lot more in common with these two films with like their sci-fi movies that deal with artificial intelligence and also ones that came out especially earlier in the year kind of a yeah. referencing like the sustainability necessarily uh that we were talking about earlier um so yeah let's go ahead and talk about first moonfall july 20th 1969 in school you were taught that apollo 11 lost contact with the world for two minutes. Not true. They found something on that day that they kept hidden for 50 years. And now, it's too late to stop. Breaking news, the governor has just ordered the mass evacuation of the entire West Coast. Moving to higher ground is the only possible chance of surviving. Are we dead? No, we are just inside the moon. That might be the greatest sentence anyone's ever said. So Moonfall uh, came out February 4th, 2022 from director, co-writer Rowan Emmerich, uh, who we've talked about, interestingly, uh, like Independence Day Resurgence and oh. uh, Stargate 
on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, I think both kind of fit like that. The Stargate was like pre his like big known for thing of like the disaster film, which really kicked off with like the first Independence Day and really was a strong hold on like that kind of genre until I would say about like 2012 was like the last one that I think people really gave a shit about. Um, that was yeah, I'd say so. very successful. Yeah. And then yeah. after that, it just uh, really nosedived until Independence Day Resurgence was his last one that was like a real failure. And then this one, which didn't even have like a major studio behind it. This is actually with its $146 million budget, the uh, most expensive independent film that's ever existed because they got a lot of money from like several different production companies or like various foreign countries, like Chinese production companies, some German ones. And uh, it ended up being um, the biggest box office bomb of the year, making mm-hmm. $67 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a logical reason behind that. Um, it's fucking stupid. Like mouth agape watching this, thinking to myself, what was the plan here? Like, what What if this was a, a huge success? Like, where are you going to go with this? Like, it's just, it's so dumb. And some of the lines and some of the dialogue in this movie, I mean, just laugh out loud. Sonny, look, the moon's going to help us. <laughs> oh, no, the moon's going to go super crazy, I think. Like, there's also, like... The stuff about uh-huh. gravity, because like if, we yep. should probably say most people vaguely remember this was a thing back in February. So uh, if you are unaware, uh, Moonfall um, basically follows a situation where um, we initially see a flashback to 2011 in which our um, great astronaut uh, sort of work couple of Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry are on a mission. Uh, when all of a sudden, uh, while they're in space, a giant cloud of like weird sort of like black like masses that's moving around uh, storms right past him, ends up killing their third guy, and uh, as a result, Patrick Wilson gets blamed and is thrown out of NASA. And then we cut to ten years later, uh, in which uh, it turns out that that giant mass burrowed into the moon, and now the moon's orbit is off, so it is propelling itself toward Earth. And we follow not just Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry, uh, but also several different characters in this big ensemble, uh, including uh, John Bradley of Game of Thrones as this weird conspiracy theorist guy who ends up being absolutely 100% correct about the Earth being a hollow construct. Um, And then Michael Pena plays the uh, new husband of uh, Patrick Wilson's ex-wife. And uh, there's also Sonny who you kind of mentioned earlier, who is the estranged son of Patrick Wilson. Uh, Donald Sutherland shows up briefly in a baffling oh, sort of bro- cameo. I mean, not even two minutes. Yeah. Not even two minutes and he gets top billing. Not top billing. I mean, not top honest. billing. Not, he not gets like the billing. and. He gets like the and credit, I he, think. He de- well, he, no, he definitely gets, uh, you know, it's like Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry, uh, what's his name, Game of Thrones, Michael Pena, Donald Sutherland. Like he's fourth or fifth billed. Right, for barely any screen time, for it's a nothing. very funny scene. <laughs> that scene also, because like it's he's in one scene in which Halle Berry is like investigating down like the basement of NASA, where I guess Donald Sutherland lives or something, because yeah. he's just down where he glues just, on like, his sideburns every morning. Right, and he just like comes up in a wheelchair, just like, oh, you thought Apollo Eleven lost contact with NASA? Wrong! It's a big conspiracy that has been we've been hiding for decades about the moon actually being hollow. All right, anyway, bye. And the back and forth between him and Halle Berry, they are so clearly not in the same room, and even the sets do not look like they're the same place on either side. not at all. I mean, not at all. 
it's just that well that you run into that a lot in this movie though where mm-hmm. people are just not together like it's obvious and, and it's just it's so dumb it's not forgettable I want to say that it's not a forgettable bad one like no. if anybody brings up Moonfall like, yeah I remember that fucking thing it's just what the big twist and reveal, which I, I will try not to spoil it just because it is a newer movie. No, we, we we usually like we should say like spoilers abound for both these movies. I would argue. Okay, well then I'm spoiling. Like, right why now. are you so worried about spoilers for Moonfall of all things? Be, because man, that twist. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh. Are you fucking kidding me with this? That this this that ridiculous fucking. But actually, uh, your uh, forefathers were uh, super geniuses and super far advanced billions of years ago, and uh, they actually created an AI, which is basically like an Alexa in everybody's house, that uh, became self-aware and that killed out all living organisms. Well, you're doing the nerd voice, but the big crux of this is that they like present this through Patrick, the younger version of Patrick Wilson's son, which is some so of the worst dialogue reading ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to harsh on a kid's acting, but also, why did you give a child like that exposition to give? I have like that's no not idea. fair to a kid. No, it should have been his wife or ex-wife or something. Right. Anything. Yeah, that poor anyway, kid. Even even Donald Sutherland make him earn that check a bit more. He just shows up in space. <laughs> and, uh, so we've been covering up. This is the biggest cover up that mankind's ever produced. <laughs> yeah, one of the fuck. <laughs> What? And just this horrible conspiracy theorist mega structure bullshit. And how many times is Elon Musk going to be either directly name dropped or referenced? Yeah, John Bradley says multiple times just how much he loves Elon, which in February that was already like, oh, that's not cool at all. And now it's even worse. Yeah, it was definitely already like a uh, maybe can that a little bit. Maybe, maybe don't say that out loud. It was already a red flag, but now, like, in by the end of 2022, it's like a massive giant flag that's crimson red. Yeah, yeah now it's like, no, fuck no. It's literally blood red with my Twitter employees. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, but yeah, it's, there's that. And then, like, Halle Berry, Academy Award winning actress, she does not give a shit about being in this movie, clearly, uh, to the point where. They even left in like line flubs and stuff that she would just forget lines of dialogue and they just kept it in the movie. Patrick Wilson, God love him, but man, is he not a cape strong leading man. And and this, you know, obviously in The Conjuring, he's great and everything, but it's more of your Famiga show or you could say a, an ensemble idea. And I guess this one kind of is, but just nobody's on the same page. Like, as much as I don't like the character, the conspiracy theorist character, that, that dude's going for it at least. Yeah, like, Bradley's the only like one who's like, I'm, bit, I'm yeah. gonna, yeah, I really want to make this work. Uh, everybody else just doesn't give a fuck. Whoever the guy is that plays Halle Berry's hus- ex husband is like the most bored guy. He's so bored. He's I, so no, I would bored. submit the most bored person in this movie, though, is weirdly Charlie Plummer, who plays Sonny. Who you would figure like, oh, you're like a young kid in like one of your bigger roles at this point. You'd figure that this is like a breakout thing you'd want to do. But he is like dead inside. So it sounds Michael Pena. Michael Pena is just like, I don't care. I don't. And also he has probably, I'd say Michael Pena and then the um, girl that's traveling with Sonny are probably the two most nothing characters in the entire movie. 
I mean, I would argue Kelly Yu as Michelle is the most nothing character where they got literally like a Canadian Chinese pop star to like basically have this is weird that role that is? is so unnecessary. Yeah, I didn't literally. know. I didn't know that. Right, which I think is mainly because of like the amount of Chinese money that went into this movie <laughs> is kind of having like a prominent Chinese character. There's also a few references like, oh, our Chinese pals helped us out with the space thing or whatever. Oh, yeah, there's it's definitely like, a lot of that. And then look at my kanji tattoo. And you're like, oh, God. Right, right. But especially like with her, it was this weird thing where like she's introduced as like she lives with Halle Berry as like a foreign exchange student who's like also a nanny. Who's yeah? Who's also teaching her son Chinese? Right, right. But yeah. I, the moment she was introduced, I almost thought like, are her and Barry like a couple? Because that would make way more sense for this living arrangement instead of no, I'm a foreign exchange student who's also a nanny, and she has a completely different like. Because you only mentions that she's married in the opening scene. It would have been way better, or it would have been like you know that's why her her ex husband is so bitter towards her because she ended up having an affair or something, anything, anything, instead of just the most one note, hi, I'm going to read a kanji tattoo and flirt with this guy who does not give a shit, (laughs) and then uh, I'm going to have some really bad dialogue and try to lift a tree, and that's about all you're going to get from me. (laughs) The moon's going to go crazy right now. (laughs) The moon's going to go crazy right now. The moon's helping us. Um, yeah, the moon's helping us. Yes, there's yeah, yeah. Like that, I, I'm curious. That, so, like we previously said, we're not necessarily fans of Roland Emmerich's like films in general. Yeah, would you no. say this is like on the worser echelon, or like how would you say like in terms of bad Roland Emmerich disaster movie? Like, would you say this is lesser than a lot of those? Or, or I'd say it's in the near the bottom. I'd say it's in the bottom tier. I don't think it's the worst by any means. The Independence Day Resurgence is the worst. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's no question. <laughs> Uh, but this is this is bad, but it's so like it's so fascinatingly bad. Like in a pay to stay resurgence, you know, it sucks for so many levels because it's just basically a rehash of the first movie and then it tries to rely on sort of fan devotion, which isn't there really. And it just, you know, and also that. trying to build a universe around Independence Day, like so late in the game. Really stupid. This is so perplexingly dumb. And just how did they? I mean, obviously, a bunch of different produce production companies got involved, and that's how they got their funding and everything. But it's just, it's such a weird fucking idea, the whole thing, that it's kind of like fascinating. And like I said, and I, I do want to bring up Michael Penny again, real quick. Maybe my favorite demise to a character all year, um, where he just, you left, right, ugh. And the very next scene is, look, the air is coming back. So If you had just held on just for a little bit longer. Five, five more seconds, dude. You would have been all right. Literally, Michael Pena's soul is going up to heaven, just like, ah, oh, fuck. Literally. Really? Literally. He's going up as the air is coming back. Ah. Oh. But then it's like, what happened? Where is, what is his name? John, I think, in the movie? I don't remember. Uh, it doesn't Tom. Matter. Tom Lopez. Tom. Yeah, where's Tom? She just shakes her head. Oh, I'm sorry. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's over. And by the way, those are not his kids. Those are not 
Michael Petty has kids. No, in not at all. No yeah. way are those kids biracial. Yeah, I don't care how white and blonde the I... wife is. That that does not. There's not an ounce of Michael Pena DNA in there. No, no, dude, those are white fucking kids. Oh, <laughs> but honestly, so... my favorite example of that is like near the end of the movie when Halle Berry's talking to her son and he says like, "We never made it to daddy," and then Halle Berry says, "That's okay." <laughs> yeah i forgot about that and then also the reoccurring like thing with the guys trying to rip rob them and they're chasing after because also they they figure out the fucking thing about the oxygen tanks and the one uh, who is might be the most unattractive man i've ever seen uh, in the pickup truck dies and she, well we gotta go back for <laughs> forget him <laughs> they just keep going it's so fucking stupid it's so stupid and like you said this this plumber kid the problem is they take they spend way too much time with these kids yeah. like way too much time you don't care I do not care not one bit about these kids Walking, then being in cars, then being held up, and then dealing with the the woman at the front of their gated community named Karen. Which, okay, <laughs> get the joke. It's just, it's so fucking stupid. And yeah, it's a fifty thousand dollar a year lawyer on retainer. He runs a Lexus dealership. How the fuck can they? Can he afford this? And Patrick Wilson is getting evicted and all this stuff, but he's still got like a fridge full of shit beers. He's got a fucking classic Mustang and supposedly a real cool bike that he tries to just bribe a judge with in open court. And also he's supposed to be like completely like disheveled and just like, oh, I'm at it. But it's like Patrick Wilson just didn't shave that morning. Yeah, and, like, just didn't shave it. and now he's got like a sexy stubble. Right. Let's like, <laughs> like, so just be like, oh, I'm out of it. Oh, I'm, I'm just, yeah, it's, it's, like Jason, it's like Jason Statham in the Meg. When they find, like, he's been on a beach drinking himself to death for the last year. And it shows him, and he's in, like, beautiful swim trucks. Still just, Jason Statham, just shredded and cut. Like, looks great. Yeah, this guy, yeah, he really looks like he's fucking disheveled. Yeah, Patrick, oh, no. Because he woke up late in the day. That means he's he's a fucking loser. And And he's about to be evicted, but then he leaves on his sweet motorcycle in front of that horrific, like, green screen. Which I can't oh, just like that so many scenes that like feel like they didn't need to be green screen that they're just like ah fuck it we'll just have a big green screen here like that and then when he pulls up to Griffith Park and it's just yes. like Patrick Wilson is like not in front of anything no when he's searching the dumpsters outside the museum yeah that's and it no. shows the sky you're like oh yeah no with no, a very no, lax no. security guard who's just like are you looking for this he finds it immediately why did how did he find it immediately. It was just like on the ground. Like Patrick Wilson, like threw. It was probably like the first piece of garbage he threw away. Yeah, was the actual yeah. paper. Hundred percent. And Patrick Wilson, a former NASA astronaut, so you know he's got to be pretty intelligent. Nope, no idea. Can't find it. No, but this guy. What orbital rate? Is this what you're looking for? And why would he think that's what he's looking for? Like, what the fuck is going on? What is going on in this movie? Well, I'll say this much, like, to go back to, like, the Emmerich question, like, I think the thing is, this is lower to me even than some of those other, like, movies that are, like, much more stupid, but at the same time, some of those are, like, kind of fun in terms of, like, how much ridiculous shit, like, all the characters are able to do that, like, Emmerich throws at us. Like, 2012 has that, I'd argue, with, like, you got Woody Harrelson and Oliver Platt doing, like, very silly shit. 
um, and even like some of the people in the first Independence Day. Like, there's some a bit more charm to that, and also they don't look nearly as gray as this movie does. Like the color mm. palette for this is like an ugly steel color. Oh, it's that just terrible. Looks, like very dull and uninteresting. <laughs> no, yeah, it's terrible looking. And like, there, like there are some moments where there's some cool effects. Like I'd say the the shot that they obviously they made to sell the movie, where it's the moon coming up behind the Earth, kind of cool looking. There's some cool looking stuff in this. I don't even mean mind the design. Once they're actually like you see a little bit more where it's making of the AI where it's making geometric shapes and stuff. Like it's yeah. okay. Uh, once he's actually in the inside of the moon, though, it's just so plain and bland. Or you'll just put them in a white hallway with like fluorescent lighting. Like, oh, okay, yeah, that's real fucking original. Uh, it's just, it, I understand. I, I understand maybe budget concerns or constraints or whatever you want to call it, but scale it down then. Just scale it everything down a little bit and really did you know try to make something cool or at least interesting. This is just has bloated, you know in using air quotes independent but it's not but like bloated summer blockbuster itis like it's just garbage well uh, well, and it also feels very much like an extremely dated like summer blockbusters pretty instantly right like i would imagine seeing this when it came out maybe like a month later it already being dated like well it doesn't like like even before that like i'm just referring to the fact that like this is so feels like a 90s era blockbuster in terms of like so many of like the recurring elements like even like the the conspiracy theorist who's like oh you're totally right that feels very much like a dated concept to the degree that like this failing so much i think just signals like the end of like any of those disaster movies like geostorm was the canary in the coal mine and then this is like the death nail i would say like greenland was really I mean, but no, Greenland, Greenland actually did decently well. I'm just talking about like the we talked about Geostorm previously. Like that one failed spectacularly in a big theatrical release. Well, yeah, Greenland only made forty. Greenland only made like forty million dollars, dude. It wasn't even. But I mean, but I mean, not on a much smaller budget than either of these movies. That's true. That's true. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah, because yeah, this does feel like if it's not the proverbial sort of death nail, maybe it needs to be. I just I can't. Can you honestly think of the last disaster movie you actually enjoyed? Um, well, I will say I did recently watch a very unique take on the disaster movie uh, that just came out on Netflix with White Noise, the Noah Baumbach movie, uh, which was very bizarre and is very much like not a traditional disaster movie. Um, but but yeah, we I think we even talked about this with our disaster movie episode we did around the time this movie was coming out. Mm-hmm. That like it feels like that genre just isn't as like enticing to people who I don't know want to don't want to go to a movie theater and watch like horrible disasters happen right now, maybe yeah. for specific reasons related to right now. It's just a genre I don't really give a shit about. It's just getting it seems to be formulaic and also just now it's got to the point where our big problem is there's artificial intelligence hollowing out the moon. Like, and it's going to crash on Earth. Like that's that's where we're going. That's how far we're going with this. Like just enough. Take a break. Just take a fucking break. I mean, well, this no, I mean, and then when the gravity is severely affected, don't you love that where people are like bouncing up in like really poor like CG versions of these? Those people? two guys <laughs> run into the helicopter. Yes. I mean, it was one of the funniest fucking things. 
Like it's so, it, it's like a combination of felt like of bad CGI and or it just be good guys on like harnesses and they're just going all right up and down up and down <laughs> boing so, boing the run a bouncy castle basically or the car where he jumps the thing and then automatically lands at a floating piece of ground and then get the fuck okay yeah this movie is just so stupid it's it tries like to be smart. Like they think, like the the big twist and reveal is gonna be like, whoa, no, no. It's it makes you feel dumber, really. Well, I don't know. Like I don't know if they necessarily think it's gonna be smart, but they're just gonna be like, oh, this is like a big fucking like surprising twist for you, right? You would have never anticipated this, and yet it feels just like it. This is less like the role in Emmerich who would do like you know some of those like other more fun disaster movies and more in line with like the Rowan Emmerich who not too long ago did the William Shakespeare conspiracy theorist movie that was him I didn't know that was him. yep I yeah anonymous oh, wow. yes that was him that was oh, one of his oh, non-disaster wow. projects he decided to do it this feels a lot more in line with that where it's just like but what if you all didn't realize that this is happening and it's like it's it's so like it's in an age of like modern like weird Q conspiracy theory shit it just feels almost weirdly irresponsible to do like one of well, that's a lot. It's a, yeah. It, this movie is for those people. I mean, that's that's who. I mean, that's what it is. It feels like it's. I uh, you read the ramblings of a maniac online, and it would just be this script. There's a fucking mega structure in the moon, man, and it's actually created from us from like billions of years ago, and it's literally now we're alive because our lifeblood was like infused with the planet Earth, man. And you know, Elon Musk is—he's actually a genius, man. <laughs> it's just all oh, Christ Almighty, right? Right from just like uh, Dick Boy sixty-three <laughs> on YouTube. Yep. Yep. On, 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 on Twitter, like lightsabers. Yes, of course, yes, lightsaber Yes, on Twitter, who's just like sending this to Elon Musk, and he's like, I'll make sure to implement that on the new yep. Twitter platform yep. <laughs> update. Well, everybody, I received a very interesting email from a man named Big Daddy Dills, and uh... <laughs> it's like, if you let him keep going, there would have been like George Soros and Alex Jones level, like making the frogs able shit. Right, it feels like it's an Infowars movie. It's it's yes. it's fucking it's garbage. It's just garbage. Yeah, but at the same time, like it's not like you you keep saying that like it's like fascinating. I don't think it's quite as fascinating because like it, there's longer stretches like boredom for me in this one. Like no, I would say like definitely. the er, the earlier like setup stuff. There's a lot of like weird fun stuff, and then particularly once they actually go to the moon and they have like that exposition dump from the, like, the little kid and stuff like that. That's where I think just like it's most like kind of like fun stupidness. But there's a lot of stuff in the middle where it's just like let's go through another like big disaster moment. Um but then followed up by like you, what we were talking about earlier with like the weird hillbillies in Colorado. And she's like there's like flashes of like the sort of like fun bad elements of this, but I don't think this is like nearly like a so bad it's good kind of movie. No, it's not. No, no, no. It's not a so bad it's good. Like I when I say fascinating, I think I mean fascinating more or less like Yes, it's formulaic, but sort of the reveal and stuff, which isn't a shocker, but at least it's like, okay, this is about as crazy as you can go right now. Like, it, that, like it, that's what interests me. And just the, the you know, oh my god, it repaired the rover. The Well, they it repaired it in P-POM. Oh my god, there's spaceships down there. Gotta fly as close to those spaceships. What is going on here? Like, <laughs> he wrote this, and I mean it's just fascinating to me that Roland Emmerich wrote this and was like, yes, this will work. I shall film it. 
Well, more importantly, like, all these different production companies like read this script. Yeah, we're like, like oh sold. hell yeah, yeah, oh fuck yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that the kid from Game of Thrones is gonna stay behind, and we're gonna do like, like a mid credit stinger, but it's not. We're just gonna shove it at the end of the movie. Well, we establish that he's part of the moon now. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. He is. The, he is part of the moon now. Yep. <laughs> We better get started. What? Started with what? <laughs> yeah, for that sequel, that's that's totally coming, right? That's going to happen. Yep, absolutely. Moonfall right after two. the storm happens, fucking cue pieces of shit. <laughs> that was a fucking dub. Moonfall would not be one that I would recommend to uh, anyone. It's not one of those, like, dude, you got to see it. It's fucking so terrible. No, it's just so dumb. I gotta tell people, it's fucking dumb, but then again, nobody's asking about it, so I guess we lucked out there, too. Yeah, and it also feels very much like we mentioned with sort of like the ever-evolving blockbuster landscape. Uh, it's Even though this is like technically an original movie that's not based on IP, it also shows that like we can't just rest on the laurels of like older nostalgia fuel of just like, oh, remember like 90s disaster movies? You'll love this, right? And it's like, no, right, not exactly. really. Right, we can't necessarily rely on that it's a bummer if anything of like i wish roland emmerich had been able to do more stuff in the vein of white house down which i would argue is his best movie i think is a lot more fun than like any of his other movies honestly is that the jamie fox uh jamie tatum one yes yes yeah i agree that's probably his best movie yeah and as opposed to uh this which yeah definitely just feels like it's kind of him just repeating a lot of the old stuff and having a few like sort of inspired fun bad moments but not nearly as much of even the dumb charm of some of his earlier movies this isn't even the day after tomorrow with jake gyllenhaal running away from the cold and shit like that it's just like ridiculously (laughs) silly shit like that um but but yeah i mean those are my final thoughts i don't know if you have anything else to add at all to that adam no, not really. Just like I said, it's just it's really dumb. It feels like I think you said it really, really well. Uh, it just feels like irresponsible storytelling. Like I understand maybe, you know, he started writing this during Independence Day too, and it took the, like four or five years to finish the script or whatever. Fine, but then when you're done, maybe look at the current landscape and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. It just feels irresponsible and it's stupid and it's just very cringeworthy, kind of all over the place. And uh, yeah, uh, 10 out of 10 would definitely recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure on that. But uh, let's get into a much better sci-fi film uh, with After Yang. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night, he won't restart. If we can't get Yang fixed, we're not gonna buy another sibling for Nikola. It is an interior core problem. We've always known that some bots are equipped with spyware. You might not want this bot in your house anymore. I wish I had a real memory. What do you mean? Did you only want to be human? such a human thing to ask, isn't it? May I be honest with you? Wait, it's, it's not being honest an option for you. 
So after Yang uh, came out March 4th, 2022, uh, from director-writer uh, Koganada, one one name, one word, perfect, Koganada, um, and it's based on a short story by uh, Alexander Weinstein, and uh, this is definitely a movie that uh, I'm sure most people out there have not seen, uh, because yeah. um, it, it was one of those weird things where, along with like this and another, I think, underrated movie from this year, Confess Fletch, it was one of those, like, it premiered on Showtime and was released in smaller theaters um at the same time and i remember even like i was telling you like the whole time like i can't i want to see this movie but it's not playing around here anywhere and showtime has like exclusive rights to like stream it for months so i didn't even see this until like july or something like that but um i'm glad i did and i'm glad i especially rewatched it for the show uh because i would say uh this is one of my favorite movies of the year um i i think it's a tremendous little sci-fi movie that Basic plot synopsis uh, for all of you. Uh, this takes place in the sort of like not too distant future uh, where um, we follow a family uh, who consists of Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner-Smith who have an adopted daughter, uh, Mika, uh, played by Mala Emma, and I apologize for potentially mispronouncing this name, uh, yep. <laughs> Tijar Widala. Apologies with that. Uh, but basically, she's this young uh, Chinese girl uh, who they adopted at birth and um, in this near future, there are robots uh, that are particularly designed to sort of help, especially with like Chinese uh, adoptees, uh, especially under parents who are not Chinese, given it's Jody Turner-Smith and Colin Farrell, uh, to like these robots that are designed to help them connect to their Chinese heritage, uh, which is the case for Yang, uh, who is uh, in here played by uh, Justin H. Min. And uh, she has basically a very like older sibling, younger sibling relationship with Yang, and they're very close. Very early in the movie, uh, Yang stops working, and Colin Farrell basically goes on a quest to try and see if he can like get certain parts replaced or see if there's like a big like if there's any way that they can bring Yang back up to working order. And over the course of that journey, uh, it, he finds out a lot more about Yang's past. And what they did, especially because they got him secondhand from a store that doesn't exist anymore. He starts finding out, like, oh, Yang had much more than we anticipated, necessarily, than we were aware of. Um, and like I said, I love this movie. I think it's one of my favorites of the year. And I really wanted to bring it up to you, Adam, because I feel like you're a big sci-fi fan. And this has shades of Blade Runner and other sort of like sci-fi stories to it. So uh, what did you think? Of after Yang, I really, really liked it. You know, I, I, I don't know that it'd be one of my favorites of the year, but I think it's a really fucking good movie, man. Uh, I think it's shot just incredible. It's such a beautiful movie to look at. Uh, the composition, everything, even the set design, the costuming, which it's like you said, it, it doesn't look too far off from sort of today, but it there's just enough of a turn to it to where it's like okay it's clearly a little bit in the future um i think that the acting is fucking incredible pretty much all around uh colin farrell just fucking crushes it but the kid who plays yang is incredible um i love seeing clifton collins jr pop up and pretty much anything and he's really fun in his little smart small part um i love the score it's just it's a really cool movie that's not at all what I thought it was going to be going in. But I, like, I, I kind of knew what it was, but I really didn't expect it to be this sort of really, like, deep, introspective piece about, like, sort of who you were doesn't necessarily mean who you are, and also, like, where the, where the past can stay buried, or, and just, it's just this really, really deep movie about loss, and how to cope with it and deal with it, and 
at least that's what I took from it. And I just think it's really fucking good. It, it definitely what I would call a sort of slow burn film. I would compare it more to like even like maybe an Ex Machina than I even would Blade Runner. A fitting given like the A24, like low, lower, like sort of like character focused sci fi kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would agree that's a that's a more apt comparison, I guess. Um, and I do want to emphasize we will spoil this movie, but I would recommend anybody see it, anybody seek it out before you like listen further and then continue with uh, us talking about it because uh, it's, it's such a movie that I hope more people get to see because of that weird release. Because uh, it's like you mentioned, it's definitely like it's not a very traditional like sort of uh, like sci-fi thriller or action or anything like that. It's just this intimate character movie just about like like you mentioned, there's a lot of like, oh, kind of dealing with loss of a person. But also the big thing I love about it is it's about like finding out about a person that you lost and realizing like, oh, they lived an entire life before I ever knew them and how that helps you to like gain even more appreciation for who they were as a person and especially with like the sci-fi concept of like the the two parents kind of treat yang as more of like oh he's like a helpful thing for our daughter but he's less of like a person and then over the course of this movie both those characters get to find out more about like oh yang we didn't appreciate it's just like an actual full-fledged person despite the fact that he was a robot and how that ties in especially with Haley lou richardson's character and all that. I, I just love how that's all unveiled. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, to the point to where Colin Farrell eventually refer, refers to him as his son. Yes. And then when she, the mother's remembering sort of him asking her questions and they're talking about his bug collection and all and what it means, like, if it just ends, what it is and all that, and she's getting kind of choked up by it. it that's a beautiful scene, by the way. Maybe my favorite scene in the movie. Um, and she's fucking great in this, too. God, she's so good. Everything I've seen her in, she's just fucking wonderful. You run sort of the gamut of emotions with this movie. Like, I, I never found it to be ultimately depressing. I'd say sad in parts. Uh, but I was never, like, depressed with it. And ultimately, the way it ends is such, like, a really sweet way to end it. And, you know, where there is closure there. Maybe not the closure you thought you were going to get or closure you needed. But closure and it, sort of the repairing of the, the fractured relationship that's become because of the loss. And... Uh, and also, dude, maybe my favorite credits, like, open Hell yeah. <laughs> sequence ever. Because <laughs> as soon as it starts, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Whoa, what the, f- whoa, what the fuck? And then it goes, like, weird technicolor, and everybody's in matching clothes, and it's, like, it's fucking weird, but it's really kind of awesome. And it's really the only time that you get anything like that in this movie. That's, it's so smart. Where it's like, hey, let's just throw something really goofy and crazy at him, and then we're going to do this really quiet, sort of introspective character piece. But but what I like about that, because if, you, if you're unaware, like, the opening sequence is this great thing where, like, all, like, the various different families we see are all participating in, like, um, in an international, like, dance competition thing done over the internet, where all the families have to stay in sync in a specific, like, dance pattern in order for like them to stay in the game as it were. And I think it does a great job of like building up like what sort of pop culture is in this world. And then how like the, this family is still together at this point. And then especially a very like off kilter thing, like initially, like you mentioned, like, Oh, this is like a fun bit to kind of like distract you for a moment. And then to realize at the end of it, that's where Yang like falls apart. And it's just like, Oh, we were having like a fun family thing. And then Yang just stopped working after that. Like that basically caused him to short circuit. 
And I just like I love how like catches you off guard in that way. And then the rest of this movie is like this much more slower build thing. But it just like the, the movie does such a great job of developing so much about this world. Like another person we didn't mention was a uh, Richie Coster, who you all might know as the Russian. My dogs are hungry guy from the Dark Knight. I love all that stuff where it feels almost like in a modern context where you have like Apple switches up their technology all the time. And you have like certain like stuff about like what you can and can't do with the machine. Um, and, and stuff like that it feels like it's very sort of like prevalent about like what technology is but at the same time it has even higher stakes for like this isn't my computer this is basically my adopted son who i'm trying to like get in working order again for my daughter and he's a conspiracy theorist as well but one that you're like yeah it's it's does it feel sloppy like it feels like real and it's also because there is kind of a really weird thing like you said going on with certain technology companies and stuff you believe that you know these people do exist for these conspiracy theories and stuff but he does it in a way that's a convincing b he feels dangerous the character and he like when he confronts colin farrell with the pipe and stuff like you're like oh fuck this guy and the guy's got a reputation he's dangerous people are like you shouldn't be dealing with him all that and compared to our other movie where it's like oh the conspiracy theorist and this is just this quirky little guy Right, and it's even better where, like, we saw this guy, he was, like, one of the families that we saw earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, like, big dance thing. So it's like, oh, he's, like, a natu- like a normal family man on the outside, but then he has, like, this darker aspect to him that conflicts with our character. Like, this movie does such a great job of, like, world-building while keeping things so intimate at the same time. Like, I feel like this whole world feels, like, so fleshed out and lived in that at the same time it feels like we're covering just a couple different families that are, like, intersecting with each other. Yeah, right, exactly. It's really fucking cool, man. And I I really like, um, forgive me, I don't know her name, but the one who plays the sort of the director at the museum, I thought she was really good, who also you catch in the opening scene. But um, she's really, really good. She, she plays her really small role, but with such like wonder and compassion. And like she's just mind blown by Yang and, and sort of what it can mean. But she also like is being very much like, you know, if you want him back, I understand, and it's up to you if we do this. She's not pushing for it because she realizes he's basically a member of their family. And it's just, it's a really good little performance. Yeah, Sarita Chandahuri is great. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, the, she does a, a great job as well. We're like, well, that's another thing where it just feels like, oh, we're fleshing out even more about like what synthetics are in this world. We're like, we've done, we've seen so many like sort of like artificial intelligence movies, but this is such a great example of like casually unveiling so much about like what synthetics are and like the rules of them with like somebody who feels like they don't have that kind of knowledge like Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell just feels like, look, I'm just a dude who tries to sell like natural tea which I love and like that earlier scene where the lady's just like, where are like the tea crystals? You don't sell any of those? No, but I can make you something just as good. Never mind. I'm not going to even bother. Like he's so much of a Luddite that like he uh-huh. doesn't even know anything about any of this technology and just kind of wants, can you just make him work basically? Which is also another great scene where he's explaining where Yang is asking him why tea. And they go through that whole explanation and he tells him, you know, about the documentary he watched and all this stuff. And it's just a really sweet moment between, you know, of course, it's supposed to be a, a robot, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like father and son or, you know, maybe even uncle and nephew and or something like that. It's just a really sweet moment. Yep, and shout out to Colin Farrell's amazing Werner Herzog impression. During oh, it's great. Thing. Oh, it's great. It was a perfect <laughs> Werner Herzog impression. As yes. soon as he started, because I've never seen that documentary, I did, you know, or whatever. But as soon as he started, I went, oh, Werner Herzog. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I get it. 
That's fucking yeah. great. I mean, that's what I love too with uh like we should mention like Colin Farrell's our star here, and he had an amazing 2022 with like the Batman, yeah. this and another movie that I know you just recently saw with Banshees of Inishirin. Yep, five out of five. Favorite movie of the year. <laughs> I mean, and that's a genuine one. That's not a bullshit one. He genuinely really loved that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Yes. Uh, but but yeah, like he just like having this like weird sort of comeback, I think that's been kind of brewing ever since like in Bruges a while ago, but I think it's really come to roost in the last couple years. Like you see, like he has so much of like this weird quiet empathy in his performance where just like he's somebody who like wants to like have the best thing for his daughter and his family, but at the same time just can't like reach the impasse of like getting past that. But at the same time, he, like, is clearly trying with, like, the stuff where he's looking through the memory, which I love how that's visually represented, where, like, they have, like, the memory bank of Yang, and then he looks through, and it's, like, the most gorgeous, like, version of the PS2 opening screen, which is, like, going through different blocks and shit like that. Yeah, for sure. You got a little Morpheus sunglasses on, so cute. But, yeah, no, dude, I agree with you about Colin Farrell. I've always thought he's, like, dude, this guy's so underrated. Like, he, he just, he just, he just does dumb movies. Like the recruit, or you know, SWAT, and all these shitty action movies he did for a while, just because he was like the good-looking guy, which he is a very good-looking guy. But then you see like Miami Vice and stuff like that, and you're like, oh god, he's so fucking good. Even Minority Report, he's great in that movie. Phone Booth, you know, stuff like that, where it's like these weird character performances that like he really, really crushes. I think Colin Farrell, unfortunately, sort of got saddled with being the hot leading man. When he's that's not he's a character actor too. He's just a, he happens to be a good looking man, but he's he's a total character actor. He can really sort of transform and disappear. Like even in this and then obviously Banshees as well. It's him. It's his face. It's 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 completely him. But it feels like it's two completely different actors, like two completely different people. But and the thing is, they're not that different of sort of performance. They're both kind of quiet, a little not quiet, but it's not manic over the top it's really sort of sweet down to earth performances but uh, you'd be damn he's so fucking good he's so good and this movie is absolute proof of why he's so good he, he feels like a caring father but who also is unsure of himself as a father at the same time and as a husband he's having his own identity crisis and then even like unsure of his life decisions as far as his profession and sort of what's going on he has no idea what's going on at home he doesn't have any idea what's going on with his wife you know even like halfway through the movie where she's obviously upset with him for not being around and all stuff you know are we good like obviously not you are obviously not and then his daughter kind of like constantly like where is he when is he going to be home and oh you know he had a late night at the tea shop and we know he didn't have a lot of customers he's probably just fucking chilling didn't want to go home he feels so out of place uh it's just it's a really wonderful performance of not only like sort of like we said, dealing with sort of loss or whatever, but also sort of like discovering one's own self at the same time through the loss and through the grief and through sort of the mourning process and just ultimately being cool with who you are and what you have, except self-acceptance at the same time. And uh, it's just a really, really fucking great performance by him. And I, unfortunately, nobody saw this movie. Uh, I mean, I guess that doesn't mean you know, I think, but this is, if he gets a nomination, I'm assuming be for Banshees, which he's also fucking great in, but he, I'd almost prefer it to be this one, because I think this is the better performance. 
Yeah, I mean, and, like, the thing is, he's one of those guys who, like, you mentioned, like, oh, he's, like, more of a character actor, but he doesn't have, like, the Jude Law problem, necessarily, where he can lead movies, but at the same time, it's through, like, what we're talking about, where it's not through, like, oh, I'm, it's just because I'm, like, a handsome guy. He has, like, these very sort of, like, either very down-to-earth or very, like, silly with, like, you know, the Penguin performance. It's just, like, a scene-sealer thing versus even, like, the in After Yang and Banshees. It feels like he just fits in with the ensemble that's here already, and it feels like he's very much, like, a sort of team player like has gone through so much like you can feel like there's a definite turn where after he had gone through like rehab and gotten sober it feels like there's been a genuine like total turnover in his career where you see a lot of that loss and a lot of that kind of like regret about his past come through really well in these performances where this is a guy who's like lived through a lot yeah 100 dude he brings sort of a, a world weary sort of quality to if for lack of a better term quality to all of his performances now even in something that's sort of over the top like the penguin there's still such a darkness there too where it's and it's like just behind the eyes it, it's it's really fucking great like i don't want to keep talking about a different movie but in banshees even where you know he's this this nice guy but he's got these moments of just like god he's fucked up <laughs> like this guy's got some issues um and it, it's it, there is a bit of that in this too like i said it's he's very sweet and charming and soft-spoken and everything in this movie but then you find out he hates clones you know and he's got a problem with his clones and then you find out he's having problems sort of with his wife and then maybe money problems and sort of he doesn't know really anything about his daughter that much like just enough where really yang was the one that took care of her and he doesn't know anything he, you know like oh you get out of bed at night to get water like, had no idea, you know, stuff like There's just this, yeah, he's a real sweet guy, but there feels like there's always something under the surface. Always. And like I said, this one just really, really sort of exemplifies that for me. It's not my favorite movie of the year. One of my favorite movies, sure, but maybe my favorite male performance. Maybe. Uh, which is crazy because my favorite movie of the year is he's in it, but I think this is the better performance. And I, I just think it's, you know, it's not the only thing that makes the movie, but it, it definitely kicks into an, another echelon for sure. Well, I mean, someone else who's great, who you mentioned the clone element of this, uh, we have Haley Lou Richardson pops up as this actual clone who apparently has had like a secret sort of relationship with Yang that comes around and, I love all of the reveals about that whole thing where like when we see her initially in like the memories, which like the way Koganada in this movie, not only is he was the director, writer, and also editor of this movie. I love the way that he edits the memory element of this, where like whenever somebody like kind of thinks back, there's certain different angles that he has on like somebody remembering, like there's a bits where even that scene you were talking about with Jody uh, Turner Smith where she like remembers that moment with Yang and there's like certain shots where like they show her saying the same line, but having like different versions, like, Oh, I laughed after that. Or I kind of paused and like gulped some air or something like that. Like it shows that like, Oh, we don't have a precise idea of what memory is uh, as opposed to like, when we see the actual like memories that show up later, we see so like very clearly what they are and like all the stuff with her and like that mysterious angle, like who is she and how does Yang know her? And then that ultimate reveal that like Yang has lived essentially so many different lives before he ever met this entire family like they just thought oh we got him like secondhand he was only like five days old or whatever from that store that doesn't exist anymore but it just shows off like oh wait i have had like decades of living a life where i was like in love with a woman who ended up dying and then i now have this connection with her clone basically at this point now who was like her great grandmother 
or whatever. It just like unveils so much of like, oh yeah, this guy who we just thought was like our, you know, basically like live in Butler type. It's like, no, not only is he like someone who I consider a son now, but he had an entire existence before we ever knew him. And all those shots of like him um, with, you know, the, the mom and seeing like the little boy grow up and then leave. And then she ends up getting sick, which causes Haley Richardson to come in as the nurse and everything. You just see so much like, oh, this, these snapshots of a life this robot lived as an actual sort of like human person is like so beautiful and touching and upsetting, but like it just unveils so much that once again, like with the sort of stereotypes people have about like robots or clones in this universe, it's like, no, they're actual like beings who have feelings and emotions. And there's a lot more than we give them credit for. I just love how all that's unveiled in a very empathetic sci-fi conceit. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. You know, and it's even not even just with her, which she is great too. And that whole reveal of kind of, you know, where Yang just found her again, basically, because just the, you know, the question can, you know, uh, whatever they call them. And I forget what they're called. They're not called robots. They're called. It's like synthetics or something like that. Yeah. Something something like that. Or auto sins or something like that. You know, can they feel love and all that? And I don't, I don't think so. Well, clearly this one can, and that's what made him so special. And that's also what made him so special to the family. Uh, it, it's just such a great moment. And like you said, too, in the opening where, you know, yeah, you don't really sort of know when you find out, you know, who people were before you knew them and whatever that. But, I mean, this is just the implications of how long this robot's been alive and sort of moving through people's lives. And even that the one flashback where he's with the, the little boy and the mother and, you know, the little boy you can tell as he's growing up is like, doesn't want to fucking have this guy, this robot around. Mm-hmm. And the mother gets sick and she's sort of like, you know, just die. It's just, it's so sad. But at the same time, it's like, you get this sort of sense of, yeah, but he found her again. And, and now maybe that's, he completed his sort of goal, I guess. He, his great love was lost and then he found her again. And then, okay, he, he's good now. You know, it's just, it's, he can stop running basically uh, internally, um, but it's just, it's such a beautiful moment. And it just, all the scenes of him just sort of looking at his own reflection and all of that, it's, it's, it's really fucking just pretty and beautiful, uh, except for that fucking mullet they put on him <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the past. Look, we all what? go through changes in our hairstyles and our I, lives. I mean, I Yes, but good <laughs> lord. Uh, but also, there's like so many of the great specific like, memory moments. Like, I love there's a point where like he's looking back on like when the mother is sick and Haley Richardson is taking care of him. And there's just a shot of like her on the bedside of the mother, and then they both look at the camera, implying like, oh, Yang's just here and it's awkward. Like, elements like that, where she's like, that's a mm. very specific memory that just feels like, oh, this was, like, plucked out of, in this case, literally, like, someone's head, but in a way that, like, immediately makes you empathize with, like, oh, no, I have memories like that, like, very specific details that are just, like, something, like, I remember, like, from my particular perspective, watching, like, an event go on, like, between two people in front of me and shit like that. It is such a, like, great example, and I think that's what, I, I really hope that this guy, Koganada, who uh, has only done one other movie before this called Columbus, which I also saw, and is very good, like, a little intimate drama with Haley Lou Richardson and uh, John Cho. That's great, but before this, he did, like, video essays on YouTube, and, like, for the Criterion collection and shit like that. Uh, I think he's an amazing talent. I really want to see more of this guy. 
yeah, I'd like to see more from him too. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I just, oh, God, please God, you know, I would imagine I'm thinking not, but I, I hope he doesn't get sort of like roped up in one of the big sort of shared universes type ideas that are going on. Oh, like say Lee Isaac Chung, the guy who did Minari doing Twisters as his next project? Yeah, what the fuck is that? Yep, that was deeply upsetting. You hear like, oh, that's what he's doing? That's so sad. I know, that's such a bummer, dude. (laughs) But yeah, it really is. But yeah, I don't want that to happen to this guy. I think this guy's got a really unique, you know, this is the only thing I've seen. I didn't see Columbus or anything like that, but just there's something about his visual even design and visual storytelling that's like oh yeah i really want to see more of this like it's i i just it's that's good to know that his first one was good too because you know sometimes you get directors who yeah they they make this really visual beautiful movie and then uh, their next movies are sort of uh, stinkers. <laughs> Duncan Jones. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alex Garland, even, with men. We're like, oh, fuck, bummer. I don't know. But, he did uh, a fair amount of very good movies and also wrote several good movies before men. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't care. Um, yeah, I don't care. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. One yeah. bad one. You're out of town for Adam Thomas. Yeah, well, I mean, it was pretty fucking bad. I mean, but, no, I'm not uh, disagreeing with that. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But uh, yeah, I, I think this guy has a really unique sort of uh, vision. I'd really like to see where he goes from here. I'd love to see him get more sort of, not necessarily huge projects, but, you know, maybe a little bit more wider attention to wider release projects, you know, sci-fi or however he wants to do it, just but intimate stories like this. And I, I think it, you could be a real sort of force uh, or really good new talent to sort of watch. I'm tired. I'm just tired of the same old shit over and over. And I think this guy could bring something new. Yeah, that's true until it's announced like Avengers 6 from oh, Yeah. Tombstone 2. <laughs> by Kuganawa. Oh, fuck. What? <laughs> Tombstone. <laughs> Graveyard's Revenge. <laughs> Tombstone. Not the pizza. Um, it's just <laughs> why twisters? Oh man! <laughs> so Look, we sad. had to follow up the legacy of Twister, oh, and we were so much in need of that. Yeah, J- Jurassic World Blues Revenge. You know, now so... that's more the guy. Colin Trevorrow was way more that guy. Oh, I'm just like, oh, a fun little indie movie, and then a bunch of fucking bullshit blockbusters and book of Henry. Just garbage. <laughs> oh god. Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, but no, it's just I. This is a really wonderful little introspective movie that you don't get anymore. I mean, you do, but there's so few and far between. And you know, a lot of times, yeah, they work, but it's really rare that they really work this well. And it's always fun, especially when it's a new talent and sort of new stars as mixed with established stars, and it just gives everybody sort of a a, a chance to shine. And I, I think this one's kind of really a perfect epitome of that where everybody in this shines and it's it's really fucking good it's really good i'm glad i've i'm glad you picked it uh because i remember when i got it i was like dude i got i think i got that movie i think you were talking about after gang and i I immediately watched it yeah i think it was like pretty much right away (laughs) yeah so uh yeah it was uh it was a real joy to watch yeah and honestly it was one where like i really really liked it the first time i watched it and then this rewatch kind of solidified it like it's part of my top 10 i would say for the year because i think it does it's, it's like we mentioned it does such a great job with like all these like 
uh, sort of like sci-fi elements, but then world building, but not in this sort of obnoxious world building where it feels like, oh, are we building like a quote unquote universe or whatever, like some like bigger budget sci-fi does these days. It feels so much more like, well, we're firmly establishing what this world is because it really matters for like the characters and the journey that they're going on. And for this particular story that, as we mentioned, is so like character focused. And it feels like, you know, it's another credit to A24 still delivering such like massive, diverse, different things that, you know, this this year was like the the 10th anniversary of A24 starting. Um, and it feels just like, yeah, they're just at least pumping up things like not all of these things I liked. Uh, spoilers, I'm going to mention a bad one when we get to our double reduce segment that they put out. Uh, but at the same time, they take chances on just like a bunch of interesting, different things that I'm like so happy it can exist even if this didn't get a major release and it's a bummer but at the same time i'm glad that like a movie like this quiet and beautiful and subtle can still exist on modern pop culture landscape and i would definitely recommend anybody out there see it if you haven't um and those are my final thoughts i don't know if you have anything else to add adam about after yang no well said i don't i think i pretty much said everything i, I wanted to i just i hope it gets a little more attention so we keep getting stuff like this Yes, and also, if you have a Yang mullet, cut it. That's not a good look. Yeah, no, it's not a good look, to the point to where, uh, just awful. Just cut that shit off. (laughs) Uh, Let's go into our weekly segment, the Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. So the double redo is a segment that uh, Adam and I do every week uh, in which we, uh, you know, bring up along with, uh, you know, our good and bad feature we talk about on the episode. Uh, we recommend like a good and a bad feature uh, related to the topic uh, for you all to like either uh, one to see and one to avoid. So Adam has a good and a bad choice for 2022 movies and I have the same. And so, uh, Adam, you're going to go ahead and go first. What are your choices for uh, The Double Redo? Okay, yeah, so Big Shocker. Um, both of mine are genre films. I know, I've never done that before, and I don't talk about the genre at all. Oh, do you like genre films? Or, I'm, I'm sure you're not a fan of horror movies at all, though, right? No, garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for my good choice, uh, it's actually a sequel to a movie that I was not a fan of, and also by a director i typically not a fan of. Uh, it's Ty West's Pearl. Did not like X at all. I felt X was, uh, I mean, it's supposed to be exploitive, but I felt like it just went for too much like gross out and just felt lazy and stupid. Like just, oh, let's just make a TNA movie, but also have old people be nude and do it. Isn't that gross? It's just like, okay, this is fucking stupid. But then, you know, and also I'm like, how are they going to make a fucking prequel to this? So Mia Goth is this old lady, like not, it's so silly, but then, this comes out and it starts like people really buzzing about it, which people liked X too. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you did, that's great. But then this one comes out and I'm like, all right, I guess I got to see it. Fuck it. And I'll be damned if like, it's not one of my fa- Also one of my favorite performances of the year is Mia Goth as Pearl. She's so fucking great, but not only is she great, like the actress who plays her mother's great. The video projector guy's great. Her cousin is great. Like, it's just, it's a really fucking good movie i uh, and just really about sort of one girl's descent into madness you know that everybody around her especially her mother like 
knew there was something wrong with her. But then it's just you get to watch it happen and watch her just go completely batshit crazy till you get to the ultimate crescendo of the credits roll. Some of the best non-vocal acting I've ever seen. It's fucking creepy and weird and haunting. Kind of funny because it's over the top, but in a really perfect camp way. Like, And it looks great. The colors are great. The wardrobe's great. Like Everything about Pearl kind of works. And it's a huge surprise to me because, like I said, not a huge fan of X. The kid cootie of it all was not enough. Um, <laughs> but for my bad, I have one that we've talked about uh, on the Patreon. I said on that that it's one of the worst pieces of exploitive pieces of shit I've ever seen that takes the awful idea of real life horrible tragedies and turns it into the way it flips it to where, you know, ultimately that saves her. And it's just, and also in a franchise that need to die a long time ago, I have. Uh, the Netflix text chainsaw massacre. Um, I, I won't say a lot about it on here because I don't think it even deserves and to t- be talked about much more. Um, but it is absolutely offensive for many, many reasons. Uh, it's a clear like, oh, they brought Jamie Lee Curtis back in 2018's Halloween. Oh, let's bring Sally back. Oh, the actress died. Oh, we'll just recast her. Fuck it. And then we're just going to do the character super dirty. And also, like I said, the, the just the school shooting stuff. Is so unbelievably offensive and gross and not even, you know, I'm fine with taking stuff and flipping it to, you know, sort of be shocking horror. It doesn't bother me a lot, uh, but I think something like that is just so just fucking gross and just reprehensible and really sort of just immoral and just... I, I hate to say it, but like this guy, like whoever wrote it, like you fuck you, man. Like you, you don't just you didn't deserve to be able to write a movie if that's the shit you're gonna throw in it. And uh, yeah, that's about all I'll say about it. It's just fucking garbage. And I kind of, you know, I I think it did well on Netflix, but I, I'm sure we'll get another one. But I really fucking hope not. And uh, yeah, fuck you, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But watch Pearl. Right, specifically Text Chainsaw Massacre 2022. I think they have it where it's like either they remove the definite article, I think, right? That's the thing. They removed the. That's the only yeah, difference th- between yeah, that and I like think... the original title, I think. Yeah, I believe that's the case. And yeah. also in the original, they weirdly have chain and saw as two different words. Which I, is still that, weird. That fucking franchise is so batshit crazy and weird. I'll agree with you. Like, I don't have a lot more to say about Texas Chainsaw than what we did do on On the Edge of Relevance on the Patreon. We did a whole episode about it when it came out. Um, and that's probably our most like vicious <laughs> record we've Brutal. ever done about a movie. Brutal. <laughs> we both really fucking loathed and like really tore into it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's definitely has it's one of the worst ones I've seen this year for sure. And it's definitely has stuck around since February. Like that came out very early in the year, and it has like really stuck around, kind of festered in a bad way. I think for both of us. Um, and I know some people were kind of like, oh, I don't know, it's like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie where there's a, it takes place in Texas and there's a chainsaw massacre. I had fun with it. I'm like, all right, sure, whatever, man. Uh, it, it's vile trash to me. I completely agree with you. And it also feels like so sloppily made. Like I found out after we did that record that like the big thing was there was a director who was hired for the first couple days who then bailed. And there was, like, a big conflict on the set, and they had to get, like, a new guy in very quickly, and they had to kind of, like, hastily put that movie back together, and it shows. Like, even beyond, like, whatever offensive stuff that we had about it, it it's just, like, it's a poorly made movie. Well, look at Leatherface. I mean, the same thing happened with the third one. You know, they fired the same, they fired the director, brought somebody else in, didn't work, rehired the same guy, and it's just, it's a mess. But I actually like that movie for its messiness, which this one just, again, I didn't mean to cut you off, but 
I don't know no, that yeah. we've I've never viciously gone against for like really like meant it uh against a film before and I haven't I don't think I have since I've said things fucking suck and things like that, but I've never been like as angry and just deeply offended as I am and I have never forgot it. Like I told you when I told you this is gonna be our pick, you're like, Wow, really after ten months I was like, Yeah, I fucking hate it. I fucking yeah. hate it. <laughs> <laughs> It's lingered. I don't blame you necessarily. No, but then Pearl, I completely agree with. I guess I'm not. I wasn't as harsh on X. I thought it was a bit overrated because it got so much like sort of like praise. I think there's interesting elements to that movie, but it's weird. Like the more that movie becomes a horror movie, the less interested I am in it. Um, and like some of the sexual politics of I think is interesting, but then it goes fully into slasher with like very underwhelming kills and stuff that I wasn't huge on. But then Pearl is like totally the opposite, where it is both like a horror movie through and through, but also this weird kind of like almost Douglas Cirque-esque like uh camp movie that we're talking about. And I think it's a tremendous performance from Goth, but also just like the like you mentioned, like the sort of technicolor look of it, I think really works and is so unique for horror to reference like that era of filmmaking. And have like the gore just be presenting like that, like what is supposed to be a version of like three strip Technicolor is like such a fascinating avenue to go. And Goth is like so good with like not just the nonverbal stuff with like the end credits, which I agree is like an all timer for recently, but that whole one shot monologue she gives is like one of the most like upsetting, beautiful performances I've seen in a movie. When she's at the table with her cousin or whatever? Yes. Oh, fuck, it's so good. So good. You could feel the cousin recoil because you're doing the same thing. Yep. You know, you're like, oh, this is getting really fucked up. Like, And they so, hold on her for like, it's almost, it's like, what, like seven minutes, I think? It's really I long. think it is. Yeah, I think it, it's, if it's not, it's damn near close. But yeah, it starts off, you're like, oh, man, you feel so bad for her. Oh, okay. Well, oh, wait a minute. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a great movie for sure. Um. And then I have uh, my good and bad choice. Uh, my good choice is Decision to Leave, uh, which is a film from uh, Park Chan-wook, who's a great South Korean director uh, who's done like a bunch of great stuff like uh, Old Boy and uh, The Handmaiden and Stoker. Tremendous uh, South Korean director. Uh, but he, this film um, is his sort of like very Hitchcockian thriller in which uh, we follow our main lead, um, who is a seasoned detective who's investigating this d- suspicious death of a guy like at a mountaintop. And uh, he comes face to face with uh, the main suspect who is the wife uh, of that guy. And uh, they start to have sort of an attraction with each other. There's a bit of like a back and forth. I don't want to go into too much detail after that. Cause it's very much like a sort of mystery thriller. Like I said, very Hitchcockian movie after that point, but it is such a great example of how he can take kind of like what could be a very traditional, like we've seen many like thrillers like this before and the kind of like, Oh, the detective and the main suspect kind of have like a, a flirtation, but Park Chan-wook does such a great job of really making you immersed in like this whole like situation that you're like in the middle of with these two characters. And you feel like that sexual tension and a lot of that fear and that worry about like one being caught and the other one kind of like being caught up in this and maybe completely destroying his like credibility as a detective and all this other stuff. They do such a great job with that. And also it's, I think, one of the best movies about like modern tech I've ever seen. Where it's a lot of like um, the the main guy will be like looking at his text message thing, and it'll be a lot of like perspectives like from the cell phone as you see him looking at like the ellipses as someone's writing out a text and doing all this other stuff. Like it's such a great movie about like modern technology with some of the best like transitions I've ever seen related to that. Uh, it, I feel like it's a movie that 
I think it's getting like a bit of Oscar buzz. It might get like a best international film nomination. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's kind of like been dismissed as like lesser Park Chan-wook, which I think is totally unfair. I think it is like an amazing movie. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody out there, especially, you know, if you want to get more into like foreign cinema stuff and maybe, you know, you saw uh parasite and it kind of interested you more in south korean cinema this is a great one to jump in on um amazing performance from tong Wei. people might know from like lust caution a few other things one of my favorite performances of the year from her in this movie as uh the main the wife character i think is like one of the most subtle nuanced performances i've seen from anybody this year um a great movie and then my bad is one actually that i saw only a couple of days ago um and is the a24 movie i mentioned uh, i'm talking about the whale which is getting a lot of Oscar buzz for Brendan Fraser, who, you know, we did a Brendan Fraser episode a couple episodes ago. I'm a big fan of like him having a comeback and everything, but I really wish it wasn't all centered around the whale, which is this movie where Brendan Fraser plays a guy who is 600 pounds. And he's, you know, like this overweight English teacher uh, who has like severe obesity. And he's been kind of avoiding going to the hospital for a lot of reasons. And um, he ends up getting his estranged daughter comes back into his life. Um, and there's a lot of conflict about that. And I give a lot of credit to I think Frazier is trying so hard to have a lot of empathy for that character. But the problem is that it's made by Darren Aronofsky, who is a guy that I traditionally like. He's a very divisive director for a lot of people. But this is genuinely, I think, his worst movie. Not just because, like, you know, I'm a big guy. And how this movie handles obesity, I think, has uh, some awful implications to it. But at the same time, it also just feels like a movie that doesn't know what it wants to do with that main character. And feels like it's less, like, it's very mawkish is the word I've heard described for this movie. And I 100% agree with that. Where it's trying to feign the idea of, like, oh, we're very empathetic to Brendan Fraser's character. He's this... Like, you know, we were trying to say, like, oh, no, we have, like, so much empathy for this poor man and his situation. But constantly, every single character around him is so against his optimism and his attempts to, like, kind of, like, live and have, like, a genuine empathy for other characters that it paints him as, like, a self-destructive bad person. Not just because of his overeating, but also just because he has, like, any kind of empathy for other characters. Because everyone else is so, like, awful and vile. Like, Sadie Sink, who's on Stranger Things and had, like, the, the Fear Street movies last year. I think she's a talented actress. Is saddled with, like, one of the most vile, awful characters I've seen in a movie in a long time as his daughter. And there's other towns people like Samantha Morton shows up. Hong Chow is like the main sort of like friend of Frazier's character who gives him some kind of medical treatment when he's not going to go to the hospital. But it just feels like it's this poorly filmed stagey attempt at kind of trying to have like an Oscar drama that feels like everything you kind of hate about Oscar dramas, where it's just like it feels so melodramatic and has no actual understanding of like the bigger issue it's talking about. And a lot of like the twists and turns that go along with Frazier's character just makes it more and more of just like this vile, awful, like carnival show more than it's like this. Oh, this empathetic drama about this like big guy. It feels so much more about like, look at the fucking fat freak. Look at him. Point and laugh at his like big, ugly, fat face. And I just found it deeply upsetting and shitty and definitely one of the worst movies I've seen this year. Uh, I haven't seen either of yours. Uh, I'm definitely interested in your good choice. Uh, I really enjoy that director, and uh, I've seen like trailers for it, and I've even seen it pop up on a couple like best movies of the year that you haven't seen lists and things like that. Uh, sounds wonderful, looks great, uh, so I'll definitely be seeking that one out. And um, as far as the whale goes, yeah, I'm, I, I haven't seen it. I'm happy. Brendan Fraser is sort of getting 
uh, you know, a, a reboot to his career. I heard he's fucking still pretty great in it. Um, I've heard pretty much all the things that you've said. Uh, I, I knew I was going to hate it uh, by the title alone. And then once you figure out, like, Brandon Frazier is the 600 pound, uh, isn't he gay in it too? He's a homosexual. Oh, yeah, they also tie a lot of, like, the, his self-destructive habits into his queerness as the well, fact which that I thought queer. was deeply right. upsetting. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. ridiculous, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I'm in amazing shape. Uh, like if you, <laughs> He's in the Donna's <laughs> folks. I saw him. Yeah, yeah, He's I'm, a... yeah, I'm fucking chiseled out of marble. Uh, <laughs> you know, I look like Michelangelo's David. Um, but <laughs> it seemed offensive. It's felt Oscar Beatty from all the trailers and everything. Like, they know what they're he knew what the point of this was, what doing this was. Oh, it's been a passion project of his for years. I don't fucking care. Like, I don't care. Yeah, this thing might have been worked in 2015 or whatever the original stage production came out or, or whatever you want to call it. But now, like we said about Moonfall, maybe uh, maybe reassess and be like, is this still something I should put out? Is this irresponsible? Is it, you know, has the landscape changed so much where this would be deemed offensive now? And uh, yeah, it is. Uh it's not okay to fat shame. It never has been okay, but you know, it's it's been a long time since shallow hell, buddy. Uh, maybe not do this. Uh, well, especially seems... when it's even worse for like at least shallow hell. For like, don't I don't support what that movie does, but at least it's not terrible film. pretending about what it is. You know, we're just like, oh, we're gonna make these obvious fat jokes. It's even worse when you have like the attempt at like, oh no, this is an empathetic story about this guy. When you're not doing that, that's even worse to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I've heard Sadie Sink is a monster in it. Yep. And uh, that's unfortunate because she's a good actress. I'd, I'd argue she's the best actress to come out of Stranger Things. And I say a lot because a couple of those kids are really fucking good. Uh, well, David Harbour, but David Harbour was around before that. But so that, that, that Stranger Things little kid, he's got that little scamp on Stranger Things. A little boy, little, that little hopper. And um, little Winona Ryder, where would she yeah, come from? Yeah, right. Never seen her before. Yep, yeah, little, little, little Matthew Modine. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah it's unfortunate because i really do like her and that, you know that's the thing too and i'll stop talking about it because obviously i haven't seen it uh, i really have no desire especially after reading yours and front of the show scott johnson's review um it's just no thank you uh but yeah why why make a movie that's so fucking down on optimism and everything right now like, it just feels like the worst time to be, like, shutting people down for being optimistic or have seen the good in people and, and people treat them like shit because of it. And it's not even just because of that. Well, obviously, we know why. It's just fucking, fuck off. Like, just fuck off. Well, I mean, fuck Aronofsky's off. at least, like, the thing is, I like that guy when he's able to. I like, like him, he's too. done that before where, like, he's had characters who have, like, that sort of uh, optimism that's uh, unfortunately doesn't work for them. But when you compare that to like Ellen Burstyn in like Requiem for a Dream, who has like a similar kind of thing where she's attempting to be like extremely optimistic throughout all that horrible situation, it at least feels like there's a tragedy there as opposed to like, fuck you for having any kind of optimism about the world. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here, fatty. You fatty, fat, fat, fat. Go eat some pizza, which I heard about that too. Yep, uh, he, eats, he binge eats pizza and puts grape jelly on it because that's what fat people do. That's yep, what they fat. do. Yeah, it just it, it looked Oscar Beatty right off the bat. Like I said, good for Brendan Fraser though. I hope he gets nominated. I hope he doesn't win because then the, then more movies like this will be made. Um, or the people will start to think, oh, well, before if they played mentally challenged, there was pretty much they were guaranteed an Oscar nom. 
we're gay, but if we make them fat and gay, then they'll definitely get a nomination. Because that's how, unfortunately, movie studios think. This movie has already got enough buzz where I guarantee there's three more movies at least in the pipe about a fat guy, a fat reclusive person. Um, and it's unfortunate. Uh, so, yeah, I hope he gets nominated. Hope he doesn't win. I hope it doesn't go any further. Yeah, I just hope it allows him to do better movies. Good yep. movies after this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody out there um, in case they uh, want to you know, jot them down and put them on their watch list. Adam? Uh, yeah, for my good, I had Pearl. And for my bad, I had Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. And for my good, I had Decision to Leave. And for my bad, I had The Whale. Hey, you know what, though? If Brendan Fraser gets nominated wins, we might see Batgirl because of it. It's David Zaslav's not going to let that out. That's going to cost him too much money. When that motherfucker's just like, oh, you know what's too expensive to have, like, half of the Looney Tunes library on there? Let's get rid of that. That's not a guy who's going to release that shit. I mean, that's true. <laughs> but... Uh, as we uh, get to the end here, we'll be picking our movies for next week's episode, so stay tuned for that. We want to thank some people out there, like uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at Night of Water, that's Night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, uh, on various socials for all his great stuff. And uh, thanks to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to do stuff like vote in polls and listen to bonus podcasts we put out, uh, at least one a month on there. And uh, this month, you'll be getting some interesting stuff. Like, one, this week we're putting out this episode, you get to vote for one of my good picks uh, for an upcoming episode we're doing next month uh, for Valentine's Day where we're doing an episode about doomed romances, where basically just movies in which uh, the main couple doesn't get together for some reason, whether it be, you know, tragedy or just didn't work out between the two of them. Um, and my two picks for that you get to vote between are uh, Once, the Irish uh, sort of like music drama uh, from 2007, and then uh, the wow. most recent uh, movie from uh, Norway, uh, the, wor the Worst Person in the World, which had a lot of Oscar nomination stuff last year. Yeah, I know you're big on that one, uh, so I'm pushing for that one. I've kind of held held off on it because I knew eventually you were going to find a way to get that on the show, or at least try to. So, uh, yeah, I've been holding off on that one, but so I kind of hope that one gets picked. Yeah, though I'll just say, Adam, once isn't taking like a full out like musical number movie. It's about two musicians. Okay, all right then. All right, here we are. and you said it's Irish. Yes. All right then. Yeah, pick that. Of course. What the hell. I mean, whichever choice the patrons vote on, we will cover. Let's go with the Irish. Let's do the Irish. The, yeah. Luck of the Irish, yes, of course. That's that's going to make it win. Uh, hey, fight me! <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry. Is someone playing Banshees of Inishirin in the background? Yeah. Is that Barry Kehogan? <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. And you know, we'll wrap up the show in a minute. But the next day after we watched it, for the so what was that? Yesterday, New Year's, New Year's Eve, all morning, I was doing that accent, driving my wife crazy. <laughs> I did it all morning. Just, die, die, die. What are you doing in the kitchen? Die, 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 die. Where are you going? She's like, what the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with you? What are you talking about? This is how I talk. What's up? <laughs> oh, and uh, also, um, not too long after this episode comes out, we're planning on putting out um, a commentary track, which will be the bonus episode for January, uh, because next week is a Friday the 13th, and uh, we are doing a commentary on the 2009 Friday the 13th remake, uh, which Adam and I are uh, very big defenders of. Absolutely. I think it's one of the best of the series. 
Yeah, just one of the better, I would argue, uh, horror remakes in general. Yep, I agree. Top tier, top tier material. Yes, yes, and we'll talk all about that, and you can watch along with us for that. And uh, I also just wanted to put out an update about the Patreon, uh, where recently Patreon updated their billing system, and uh, where basically before, if you joined on Patreon, uh, you would always be charged at the first of the month, no matter when you joined, even if it was like, you know, the end of the previous month, the you would get billed on the first. Um, but the difference is now, uh, whenever you sign up from now on, if you become a new patron, which we encourage, obviously, for just the $1, uh, you will get billed on um, the the initial sign up and then the uh, a month from that date. So, for example, if you sign up on January 10th, you will get billed then and then billed again on the 10th of February. So um, if you sign up, that's how it's going to change. But if you're a regular patron already, you are still being billed on the first of the month. So just, uh, you know, another incentive where, like, if you've held off, I'm like, oh, I want to join, but it's like you know, the 31st, I uh, just have to wait until like the next month to do it. Uh, that is not a problem anymore. So please sign up and you'll get billed in that new system. Yeah, do it. For more of us, uh, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at DEDBpod. Uh, and you can also submit feedback to us at DoubleEdgeDevilBill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at NotTheWho'sTommy. And you also do some writing at uh, film-cred.com and over at uh, my blog, marionitomas.wordpress.com, which I haven't written too many reviews over the last year, but I'll definitely be putting up my usual top 20 list in the next couple weeks. Uh, so stay tuned for that to hear all about my absolute favorites of the year. And you can find me on Instagram at atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Or you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N. D-T-S-O-N, and uh, I'll probably put together a top 20 list to uh, throw out somewhere. You know, though, by the way, you me- we mentioned like sort of the top 20s and angles of that. Um, stay tuned on the Patreon, because we're not technically done talking about 2022 movies yet. Uh, around Oscar time, we have a little thing we're cooking up. Stay tuned yeah. on the Patreon for that. Yeah! Uh, it's but- dumb. The name is dumb. The name's really dumb. I can't wait <laughs> to it's reveal great. it. <laughs> the best. It's so amazing. Uh, but... Uh, for more of our uh, general antics off the Patreon on the main feed, you can uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? And uh, you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for over like 200 episodes uh, before we joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't support us on the Patreon, that's cool, money can always be tight. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because it gets us more visibility out there. Yeah, like you said, it's free. So what the fuck? What what else do you want? If you want us to, we'll start sending out little cards where you'll get a stamp every time you share it. You know, what the fuck? (laughs) If you get five, you get a free subway sandwich. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which... Which that'll kill you quicker than a bullet. So it's terrible. <laughs> um, but but yeah, uh, let us move on, Adam, to our picking for next week's episode. We do this at the end of every episode, where um, each of us has either two good or two bad movies to switch up on the quality uh, related to a topic. Um, and you have the two bad, and I have the two good for this topic that's coming up. And uh, the way we sort of do this is uh, Adam and I have our two picks. And we assign numbers between 1 and 10 for the two of them. And the other person will pick a number between 1 and 10 for the other person's choices. And they'll be like, oh, I'm going to pick number 7. And the other person who has the choices will be like, okay, that's close to number 6, which is this particular movie that gets us our good and our bad feature that way. But 
Keep in mind, the Godfather rule is still there uh, for one of us, in which uh, this rule where Adam and I were given a veto um, back in May of last year, and uh, we'll be given another one uh, come our anniversary in May again, uh, where basically it's a use it or lose it thing where the veto, uh, if we hear a choice that we pick and we're like, actually, I don't want to cover that one. I'll take the cannoli unless that choice is gone and we have to go with whatever other choice is there on the table. I've used my veto already. Adam still has his. He has to use it by May. I'm very curious what will be the final straw if he does. You know, he could just not use it, but it disappears forever. He can't yep. use it again. Yep. And hopefully I will also disappear forever. No, I don't want to. I'm tired of doing this fucking show. Great start to the year. Um, but now we have to do our picking. <laughs> <laughs> my new that was my New Year's resolution. Fuck you, Thomas. <laughs> well, I guess it's his last episode, everybody. I'll be doing the show solo now. It'll be a very sad affair. Yeah, um, you'll, but... get, you'll get Christian Alvarez, a fucking prick. <laughs> I'm sure he'll sub in. But Adam. You have the two good choices, and I have the two bad choices for this uh, topic, which in honor of Megan is the first big release of 2023. I'm yeah, very excited oh for that dumb bullshit. I can't <laughs> wait. It looks so dumb, but I, I, I'm kind of like here for it. Like, this looks so stupid, yet why do I want to see it so bad? Look, it's from the screenwriter Malignant. That's all they had to say. I'm very excited. Oh, a big movie. seller. Yep. Yep. And yep. For, for sure. sure. Yes. But uh, Adam, for your two good choices for uh, Killer AI, which is the topic uh, related to Megan, uh, I'm going to pick number three in honor of Megan with a three in the title. Oh, well, I'm going with something uh, number two that has a two in the title. Uh, probably one of the most famous instances. Uh, even if people haven't seen it, they know it. Uh, they even know the line. Uh, you know, they know the name of the AI. They know all of it. Uh, we have Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow. I didn't expect that. I didn't. I, I thought you weren't a huge fan of that one. That's interesting. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I mean, it's. I, I feel like it's one of those that on a rewatch nowadays with my tastes the way they are, that I might be pretty plus on it. So I figured, why not go for it? All right. Sure. Very excited for that. But uh, what was your other choice, Adam? At number nine, I had the 80s classic, which is still a great movie and holds up and even a little bit more prescient today. I had the Matthew Broderick War Games. I've never seen War Games, actually. Good movie. Hmm. I'll, uh, I'll have to... To make sure I see that at some point, but well, you're Adam, gonna watch every fucking AI movie before we even get to the episode, so I'm sure you'll see it. <laughs> I did my extensive research for the episode. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, Genesis is really not that bad of a name when you think about it. <laughs> well, Adam, for my two oh, bad fuck. choices, please pick number <laughs> between one and ten. Uh, I'll go number. Let's go right to the end. Number ten. Okay, Ryan the Dot number ten is a movie that we've both watched together and was kind of a oh, weird, fuck. interesting blind spot movie that we hadn't seen before that we were very entertained by. Uh, oh, I have the weird, bizarre, funny, bad movie from 1988, Death Spa. <laughs> I love Death Spa. So Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, there, <laughs> Which does no have a killer way. AI in it, but also a lot of other weird shit in it. <laughs> Yeah, a, a lot of weird shit. Uh, yeah, there's no way I'm taking the goalie on that. I can't wait to rewatch Death Spa. Yes, 
Lots, lots of time. Definitely, we would recommend all of you also watch. It's on Tubi as yeah, when we're yeah. recording this. It's a perfect you Tubi know, movie. What Tubi's like the best streaming service around, I think. It's so good. So much fun shit on there. Um, but it's very funny, Adam. On the other side of things, over at number three, uh, you mentioned the title kind of briefly there. I had Terminator Genesis. Yep. Would have gotten the cannoli. Would have gotten it. As soon as I said Genesis, I went, oh, fuck. Have I just <laughs> doomed myself? Have you evoked? <laughs> yeah, if I evoked the spirit of Genesis. <laughs> oh, man, you mean Matt Smith plays a shitty villain in a movie? No. Name five other examples from very recently. <laughs> name five other. Name, name one this year that was released twice. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, you know, two pinnacles of cinema next time. 2001 A Space Odyssey and Death Spa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Next time. But until then, everybody... Uh, have a happy, safe, and hopefully tolerable 2023. Yeah, hopefully productive in any way, physically, mentally, financially. Good luck. <laughs>